And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Happy New Year to you content marketers and welcome to Lucky Episode 7, our first to come out in the year 2014 of This Old Marketing. If you end up liking the show, please do consider subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher, the links to which, of course, you can find in our recording show post, contentmarketinginstitute.com. Okay, we're recording this on Sunday, December 29th, and I'm coming to you from, of course, the beautiful Los Angeles, California. Always beautiful this time of year. It seems like it's always sunny on uh, New Year's Day. And as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, the Captain Phillips of content marketing. <laughs> happy New Year, Joe. I love it, man. No, happy New Year to you. It's, uh, it, we, we're making it into 2014, so I'm awfully happy about that. And, you know, surprisingly, it's been mild here in Cleveland, Ohio. We've, uh, it's been, for, I've it's seen been that. 40, let's see, we hit almost 50 degrees yesterday. It's been about 45 today, but I hear we're tomorrow and into the new year, it's supposed to get super, super cold. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be staying indoors when that comes. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a thing here in LA. It's, 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 you know, for those who are familiar with the city and I've been here for 25 years now, New Year's Day is always perfect. It's it, there has never been a New Year's Day that I've lived here anyway that New Year's Day isn't you know seventy two seventy three degrees and just gorgeous and of course the forecast is for exactly that. Well, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd throw rub that out it there in, to sort rub of start it in. the show up. Yeah. Fantastic! I'm sure it'll be. It's supposed yeah. to be like 15, 15, 20 degrees here. So right. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Man. Go enjoy your sun. Exactly. Thank you very much. Well, as you might expect, it was a slow news week uh, this week between Christmas and New Year's. But what we've done is we've got a really, I think, a few articles that we can talk about this week, Joe. And and they're just, I mean, some really big questions, I think, what they'll be fun to talk about. Um, The first one I would love to get your take on is this article I saw actually in uh, the Huffington Post. Um, And it it was this article called, What If There Were No Ads?, and the reason I love this wasn't because the article itself is kind of interesting, not that terribly interesting, but basically the author of the article was saying, what if there were no ads? Can we imagine you know, this, this world where there's no television advertising, no print advertising, no, uh, but the internet is still there, right? No billboards or nothing. So the only way you learn about products really is by either going to a store or surfing online and learning about them or learning from your friends through social networks, et cetera, et cetera. And I thought it, it was a really – it just had me thinking for a while, but th- to me – the the more interesting question there is do ads do ad, does advertising have value and i think it actually does and i think we'd actually miss them um you know there was an interesting study that was done last year i think it was beginning of last year where people talked about you know they were there was a study done on targeted advertising and they were saying look people were saying you know 31% of of those that were surveyed said ads make me aware of new products and 71% said, you know, a funny ad makes me more likely to remember an ad. But I wonder if, of course, they're going in with the sort of pre-context that ads are going to exist. So I, I, I wonder in the context of content marketing, 
your sort of take on that? I mean, so that that question, which is, what if there were no more ads? What if we? What if there only was content marketing? Well, I think the first thing is it'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So we don't well, have to fun, really worry right? about it. But if we're yeah, if, if, right. if we're kind of dreaming this up a little bit, and it is actually is an interesting question because the author goes into almost positioning it because it did it, i did to do a double take at the end and actually read the last paragraph because it's almost like the author was saying it would be so much better but actually at the end says right. without advertising it it would cause chaos and social disturbance because we wouldn't <laughs> exactly. know the navigation points i mean actually right. just think about walking down Times square without advertising think about walking exactly. down a main thoroughfare and not knowing oh that's a trusted consumer brand or that's not or that looks interesting and what you know basically that's what we're talking about um, you know, I don't know. I think my, my bigger concern would be that all content then would be commerce driven. I mean, commerce as in content marketing driven. And, right. and, and of course you and I have our take on that where, I mean, I think all content in and of itself is somewhat biased, whether you, uh, whether you note that you have a bias to it or not, but I think it would, I, I would be really concerned because then uh, would you? Would that be a concern to you? That I mean, that's where that's where then advertisers would put their money. They would put it behind things well, that see, were, I, were not so in-your-face marketing, and they would focus on every little piece of the customer experience, and they would try to attach themselves to that. Well, I think it also brings up the question of what is an advertisement. You know, that's one of the things that I kept coming away from, which is where does something stop being an advertisement and – start being a piece of content, right? Because it's a very blurry line and, and it's not one that's easily discernible because if I'm walking down Times Square and I see a piece of content that's relevant to me and informs me or entertains me, etc., some might argue that it's an ad and some might argue that it's a piece of content. And I think there's no, you know, there's no way to actually say what if there was no more advertising because what you're really saying is, to, just to your point, all content has a point of view of some kind, either by absence of a point of view or a very explicit point of view. And in that case, because it has a point of view, every piece of content is trying to communicate something and therefore could be construed as an ad in some well, way. Well, I think that that's the difference, right? You're talking about blatant advertising versus – you know, not in your face. Like he, when, in the example right. talks about YouTube pre-roll, which I think that to everyone on the face of the earth, we cannot stand pre-roll videos to get, cause we want, we want to see our <laughs> yeah, video, right, exactly. but I've got to sit through this video to get the video that I really want. And it's almost more disturbing than a commercial for some reason that we would see on television. I don't know why, but that's personally, I'm disturbed by it. I'm like, Oh, I can't skip through this. I actually have to sit and watch it. But I think that's the issue is, and that's, I think where we're going. I mean, I think to your point, everything you could look at every little everything that's sitting on your desk here and say, "Boy, it's it's uh, ripe with marketing of some kind." But I think it's it's the in that's your right. face, and I think so. I think that's where we're going. I mean, to make it relevant toward you know the content marketing conversation, I think that's where we're going because there is a place for in your face advertising, but more and more we know that there's an opportunity for brands to be helpful or the brands to be interesting or them to be relevant to customers in some way. And that means creating marketing. That's not so in your face. Yeah. It's, it's funny because what it reminds me of is this, this thing that I've been talking a lot about in the workshops that we do, which is this shift in the marketing paradigm where as you know, when we're, and I'm old enough to be a classically quote unquote trained marketing guy. And we were taught 
to describe things. That's what marketers do really well. It's what advertisers do really well. We describe things in ever clever ways, right? So we, the more clever we can be in describing them, and this was this goes back to the Mad Men days, is you know they could be really clever in describing the product or service, and that's what made a great ad. And now what marketing, the shift is that marketing is becoming, with content marketing specifically, it marketing is becoming the thing of value. So it looks more like product development than it actually does advertising creation or copywriting because you're actually developing the thing that is valuable, right? The, the piece of content that's going to deliver, you know, in Jay Bear's words, utility or uh, something entertaining or informative or useful to that consumer. Marketing is now shifting from describing the thing to becoming the thing. And that's a big shift for a lot of companies to that's make. That's a really important point. I and mean, we've talked about that as, as content. When you don't treat content as an expense and you treat it like an asset, those organizations actually have product development going on around their content similar to what they do with their product launches. It's the same thing. They're that's investing right. in the process of content creation. And you talked about this last week in your predictions about the idea of, of brands setting up content creation, yeah. formal content creation processes. They're doing that because they see content as an asset and they're seeing marketing as an asset versus an expense. And that's, that's the big that's shift right. that we're seeing right now, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge shift. It's a huge shift. You know, and it's one, I got to say, that, that is super interesting to me. I mean, I just think that as, as we move forward and this whole idea of, marketing as va- you know marketing and content as an asset to the company that is only going to grow you know from you know from the seed that it is into some you know beautiful little pearl and i think the companies that will really succeed in the future you know you look at i mean i know it's thrown out as the poster child all the time is red bull but you look at what they're doing and it's that is the that is the future of product and company and business development really going well, forward I, it, I and it's, a, it's not too far of a stretch. I mean, and you and I have been involved in publishing long enough to know they're just taking the media business model and overlaying it to the organizational structure that sells a product or a service. That's really all, the, that's that's right. really all they're doing. Everybody thinks, oh, this content marketing thing is brand new. It's as old as the hills. I mean, this is really, really yeah. old. I mean, there have been media companies around for hundreds of years. That's all. It, and it's weird that finally in the year 2014, we're coming around to this whole media model thing. Oh, and instead of monetizing our content by selling advertising or actually selling our content in some way, we're just going to sell more products and services. That's it. It's not, yeah, it's not exactly, rocket science. So right. now we're seeing all, <laughs> right. all, this, uh, all this change inside the organization, but really it's not much different than what we've been seeing for, you know, I mean, I've been in publishing for over 15 years now, and that's all I've been seeing. And, you know, you go into organizations and they say they're struggling with this, and you're like, why are you struggling so much with this? But it's just that it's more of that mental shift than anything else. Yeah. Well, that and, you know, the funny thing is, is that that segues beautifully into a story that I know that you're hot on um, it from Gary Vaynerchuk that came out uh, his, he put out this slide share um, on how Anchorman two has sort of reinvented the way of marketing a movie. And when he was saying a media company actually becoming a media company, <laughs> it's so, it, well, it's interesting. And I love that. And we'll, we'll put this in the show notes as well, because by the way, uh, hats off to uh, Gary Vaynerchuk because he's launching his book, which is, I think jab, 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 right hook is the name of the book by the And I've read half of it. It's really good. I mean, he, he's, he's, it's interesting how he does it. Cause he just nails some brands to the wall and he'll, he'll flat out say, this is horrible. These brands should be completely ashamed <laughs> of themselves. So hat tip to, to his book. He's got some, and, and I would say one of the better 
case study books out there on social media. And then it's all about content marketing with Gary. I mean, Gary talks about that's that's his go to market strategy. All his jabs he's talking about that's really giving away helpful, interesting, relevant content. So I mean, so I, yeah. I would recommend the book from that standpoint. Not paid to do so, by the way. And uh, <laughs> and what I love about this, and and I would love, and I know there's a what's interesting is I shared this article and you shared another one on Anchorman too, just because we were all interested to see if what the you know the marketing if you want to call it a campaign or the the program that Anchorman Two went to market with was so different and would it take hold? And now what we see is and is week two, this is week two of it being out. It has already surpassed total gross billings of Anchorman One, and it yeah. did that in in not even two weeks. So I think I mean well it was. I was going to say it's you know that was I don't know if you remember this was my rave of That's 2 right. weeks ago which was the brilliance of the marketing campaign of this what they did here along with the you know what Beyonce did with the the way that she dropped her her last album and it's just you know I came at it from this uh, you know from the angle that I I saw this article on Ad Age which was sort of a dissection of what they had done you know, and it was all, you know, to, to Gary's point, it was all jab, jab, jab. It was all content, content, content. And then they actually go through in this Ad Age article and talk about the individual pieces of content, how they would insert themselves on the local news and insert themselves into local events and really targeted specific regional areas with very specific content and then let the actual uh, – then actually let the brand be the brand. In other words – what they were saying was the the number one in that article. Just I mean, I, I've actually quoted it now and 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 have it and have it. It's a great blog post at some point where his number one point was he says stop trying to convince your audience that you're better than the other guy. Instead, be more culturally relevant than your competitors. A brand isn't so much competing for attention within its category; it's competing for attention. Yep. Period. And that, I mean, and that just goes right to everything we teach in workshops and in, and in master classes and in, in events, which is your competition isn't your competition. It's that which is competing for your uh, consumers. Well, attention. it's nobody cares about and features and benefits. That, I mean, that's it. That, that's for right. the most that's until exactly you're right. at the very end of the buying process. Nobody cares about features and benefits. And every commercial, almost every commercial out there is about features and benefits. Right. Exactly. And, you know, and, and, and what I love about what Gary was saying in his, in his slides here was where he points out how they really leveraged all of – they basically let the – you know, let Will Ferrell go crazy and, and just do his thing and built, the, built these assets that they would have normally done after the release of the movie but did it pre-release of the movie, which is just Well, this is, this is – I think this is important. Like this is – so critical to any business out there and what they've done. And I'm sure, by the way, we'll see a bunch of copycat movies try to do this. Oh, of course. But, but yeah. I think it's very relevant. Like you might think, oh, none of us, no, we don't have a Will Ferrell that we can use. But we all have that en- expert engineer, that expert in your organization that you could leverage in different ways. And what I love, and this is in slide 17 of, of Gary's slide share, and what he goes, he said, what really makes this different? And the the real thing is the way that movies mostly go to market is they have this uh, trailer, and then they go basically take pieces of the movie and they'll repurpose them a million times in a different, you know, different social media outlets. But they're basically taking content they already have, so they're using pre-existing assets. But now what they're doing differently is they're taking an, a core asset of Anchorman Two, which is Will Ferrell, and they're placing him all over the place and putting a lot of time and money behind that to tell new and interesting stories and really tell that story differently. 
And I think that's where, I mean, that that's the advantage that you have instead of I mean, most businesses and what we do is when we think of repurposing our content or our, or our content assets, we think, oh, we've got this great ebook and let's slice and dice this ebook up a million ways and a different million channels. And, and by the way, there's a place for that. But I think this, what I love about this, and I think more businesses are going to do this in 2014, they're going to say, who are the assets in our organization? Who tells our story really well? And let's start putting them into situations that can help us help our customers. I mean, do you, do you agree with that? I do. And what I love so much about that is the, what they, the, the thought, and, you know, and I'm going to assume that they put a tremendous amount of thought into this. Maybe this was just off that you know, they just said, hey, let's just travel around to a bunch of news stations and try it out and see if it works. But I'm going to assume for the moment that they actually planned, did put a yeah. lot of thought yeah, into this. Yeah. And the, the, the critical thing for me is, is that what, you, what you're saying there is that they actually took the time to think through all of these assets that they were going to create, not to basically tease the movie, but as value in and of themselves. And the interesting thing to me, and again, I don't know whether they thought this through all the way or not, but really I think there's a wonderful question here. What can they do with these assets now that they've created them? Could they actually create a, you know, a, a, a TV series or a documentary or a behind-the-scenes DVD or what products could they actually create from all of these wonderful appearances that Will Ferrell did in the guise of Ron Burgundy and actually create some monetizable yeah. assets that they could actually start to sell, where you're actually thinking about content as a product that is in addition to the product that I you're selling. I think that's and where – It's just a fascinating that's the, thing. What I want to really know, and I think we're going to have to do some research on this, is whether or not that was their goal. To really, really match yeah. like, oh my gosh, we, we've created so much of a greater opportunity to monetize this over and above getting people to the movie. Because we just talked about it, right? They've succeeded. They got more people to the movie. Right. Great. But I think you're right. The bigger opportunity, I think they've turned a, what could have been a $150 million, 200, it'll be over a $200 million, maybe a $250 million international grossing movie. I think they've created a billion dollar brand off of this. Which is really right. what's amazing because now look at the opportunities. And I love Gary goes through this in his slide share where they were trying to – they wanted to target Australia. So they had Ron Burgundy, Will Ferrell's character, analyze the Australian election. Right. And you know what it did? <laughs> Australians right. took notice of that. I mean if you want to get – if you want to get noticed, you want people talking about you, you have to talk about what's interesting to them. And that's exactly that's, that's right. kind of the first rule of content marketing, right? That's exactly what he did. So I thought that was so, and then what happened is Australia media picked it up and I'm assuming that probably the movie's doing fairly well in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> well, it would be it'll be very like you say, it'll be really interesting to see what they actually what they actually do with this uh, long term because I think it's really you know, it's not just for media companies. It's not just for marketing movies or marketing albums or you know, uh, marketing media properties. It is. It is there. Just to your point, you know, you've you've got those assets already. You you may or may not be leveraging them well now, but there is a real opportunity to start to think about how creating content as as, as part and as in in conjunction with your, the product or service that you're selling is is an incredible is an incredible. And I, and I think a takeaway would be right now would be look and find those superstars in your organization. Find, you know, find the people assets in your organization and just start to think about the ways that you could leverage those people and 
I think that's, I mean, how, how do you get that engineer talking on panels at certain shows? How do you get them speaking? Should we look at maybe doing a book? With that engineer being sort of the, the thought leader behind this. All, I mean, you could do that with a CEO. You could do it with a plant manager. You could do it with a lot of people. And I think that we don't see that enough. We don't see us as brands look at the people in our organization actually looking at them as assets as part of our content marketing program. And I think that that could be huge. Absolutely could be. Well, moving on, a really interesting article that I saw this week uh, came out on Media Post. And again, we'll put the link in the show notes. And it's this article just fascinating to me. It's, it comes up a lot um, when we start talking about content marketing, which is this idea of trust. And the reason this article really resonated with me and started making me think about things a, a little bit this week was that the, the article itself was, uh, you know, it was basically a recap of a new poll. I mean, if there's anything newsy, I guess, about it is that Gallup just released this new poll saying basically 21% uh, of people who've surveyed ranked newspaper reporters as having some very high or very high honesty or ethical standards. Basically, they trusted them, which is interesting to me because it's so low. And then what really fascinated me, and I didn't know this actually, is that this hasn't this hasn't changed. This is not – since 1976 when they first started doing this poll, this really hasn't changed that much. And that's – you know, there's all this debate now that's going on about native advertising and the ethics behind journalism and whether you're going to be able to trust magazines and print, you know, and are you going to be able to trust these publications because now they're going to have content marketing in them or whatever it is. Well, basically 21% said that they trust or find high honesty or ethical standards in print journalism. Only 14%, by the way, for TV reporters, <laughs> which is tied, by the way, for ad people. In other words, People trust TV reporters and advertising practitioners the exact same amount, <laughs> which is just a few points above lobbyists in Congress, which they got to be feeling good about, right? And so to me, it's a really interesting thing because it, you start to think about using, using content and your, you know, to develop this, this trust with consumers. And the, this, all of this, this dramatic battles that are going on right now about how trust is eroding from the print journalism and content may change it and native advertising is going to erode this trust. To me, it's all it, – well, let me ask you. Is this much ado about nothing? I mean, is there really just not – I mean, should we just not be worried about it? And marketers actually have an opportunity here to create more trust than, they, than there are with you know, like, I, print journalists. Well, I, I think it's a non-story, but it's a, it's a story for the fact that you and I fight this battle all the time. When brands think, or people, let's say journalists, which I've talked to a lot, say, oh, well, nobody's going to trust that content because it's from a brand. And I said, that's every study I've ever seen. They make up their own mind on who to trust, and whether it's a, a piece written by a journalist or a piece written by an advertising, a marketing person. The, the, people will make up their own mind on that. That's there's it's, it's such a non-issue, but I guess the surprising thing to me is the same, that this stuff hasn't changed forever. And I think the opportunity is if we create trusted relationships through content, whoever the person is uh, that's delivering that kind of information, it doesn't matter if you're from traditional media or if you're from a brand side or whatever. You have, you're, basically, it's an even slate. We're, there's nothing hindering us that's or helping us along the way. That's right, and especially these days, as journalism has itself morphed into, you know, I mean, especially television journalism. I mean, it's no secret that you know 
television journalism has really morphed from the you know classic who, what, where, how, and you know why of uh, of you know sort of the quote unquote days gone by and into the sort of the opinion or talking head or let's give you my opinion about the news um, or what I think about the news is sort of the as sort of the news. This idea of brand affiliation, you know, trust in brand affiliation really becomes a much bigger challenge. So as a marketing person, I go, okay, well, I'm going to put my content where I can see some sort of, you know, affinity with, with, with a larger brand, you know, whether that's, you know, whether that's Fox News or MSNBC or, you know, the Christian Science Monitor or the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or, you know, all of those organizations have their own, as we discussed many times their distinct point of view and natural sort of uh, uh, inclinations as a marketer I'm going to start looking at that right I'm going to start instead of saying well I'm going to put my content across all these news uh, organizations because news organizations are are trusted and and uh, and have an unbiased view and therefore my content will as well well no I'm going to look at these news organizations or publications and say which one has the closest affinity to my point of view my brand's point of view yeah I, I, but I, th- I would also say just to take a devil's advocate with this whole question and answer that they had in this I, I don't think people look at it if you just look at the answer the question ask the question about journalists do you trust journalists and of course you, you read the 21% say that they really trust right. journalists but it that's journalists in general. We all have our individual journalists and individual people we get our news from that we trust. And I think that's what, well. That's yeah, what I that's, mean. That's, that's what. That's exactly what I mean. You know what I mean? Because what I'm saying is, is that if you go ask Fox viewers, for example, do they trust Fox News? I, I guarantee you, you'll get a higher number than 21. percent But do you think that it's the individual though? I mean, like for example, is it uh, Greta Van Susteren on Fox? That maybe you trust that person. Is it the person? Like we just talked about in the in the last news, whether Will Ferrell is the asset, or Ron Burgundy, or whatever, or the engineer in your organization that people will start to get, begin that trusted relationship with. Maybe is that the opportunity versus, you know, just the the general. And well, I mean that's that goes to let's say that you're launching a blog. Let's say your company launching a blog. I think it's always better to start to position real people behind that on a consistent basis versus just it's coming from a corporate entity. Absolutely right. You know, I mean, so at the end of the day, it's people trust people. They don't trust the big corporations and they don't trust a brand necessarily. They trust someone who's delivering that, that message to them. And so, yeah, to your point, I think, you know, it is uh, the, the person there, but, but in varying degrees, I think you've got a uh, a brand voice that is stronger than others, right? So in some, you know, and I'm trying desperately to remove politics <laughs> from this whole this whole discussion here, but but basically, with varying degrees, you've got publications and media outlets that have stronger brand voices than than others. Let's put it that way. And those and the individual voices in some of those places come out stronger than others. Uh, yeah. Before you get into any political rants, maybe we should go on to the next. Uh, <laughs> the yeah. next one. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. the the one that I saw, and this is written by uh, Shafkat Islam, and he is the CEO of NewsCred, you know, a, a company we're very familiar with. So he wrote an article on Mashable, and you know, we did our prediction special last week, which, by the way, was a hoot to do. I had a, a fun time doing that with you. And it was I really fun. That, 
We'll see if Google buys Yahoo. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's yeah. a couple here in, in uh, Shafkat's predictions that I wanted to run by you. Uh, basically, number one, content will be its own role and department. You said that yourself. There's all kinds of that stuff. That was one of native, my predictions, talking yeah. about native advertising, but there's one I want to run by you, and then I've got a couple takes on some other ones. He says that agencies will productize content. In 2014, agencies will be more organized about that. their content marketing efforts. We'll see agencies partnering with marketing software vendors to productize their brand newsroom offerings. What do you think about that? Do you have a take on that? I, I, I do, actually, and, and I think he's partially right. I, I think, um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of, I mean, look, he was, he was broad enough in his prediction that I think there's, there's a lot of room, there's a lot of wiggle room in that. Um, I do think agencies are going to, I mean, we talked about this last week, we, where we, we talked about agencies and sort of the transformation of agencies here. And insofar as agencies will start to figure out that content marketing is more than just writing the company's blog post, um, will actually start to develop strategic content as a service. I, I, I definitely buy that. What I took away from that, the idea of productizing content as an offering, is something a little different, and it's something I'm starting to see when you know when we did the research report for the content collaboration providers, um, you know the companies like Skyward and Writer Access, Contently, and those mm-hmm. guys, and there's a couple of them on there that are actually starting to do things like idea boards. In other words, it's not reactive. You don't have companies going on and saying, I need content on XYZ subject, and then people bid on that and then sort of win the bid and then go to go do the project. But rather, the writers or content creators themselves are creating content as a product and saying, I have this piece of content for sale to the highest bidder. And that's a really interesting change in the relationship to me where you can start to have content creators who come out and say, I'm creating a piece of content that can be branded with anyone. You know, we've, you and I've talked about this with when we, when we got to, uh, when we got to sit down with the lovely William Shatner and talk a little bit about his, uh, his wine, uh, his wine uh, show. It's a really interesting thing to me when you've got content creators and agencies will be a perfect candidate for this to actually start creating content and productizing it and selling it as a product or service to the brands that they work so you, with. So you're thinking more than uh, here is our service, our brand newsroom service that's all tied into marketing automation or whatever. You're actually saying that they will come up with content ideas for sale type of a option or is, did I did I mishear that? No, no, no. You heard that oh. exactly right. Now, I don't know whether that's what this, the author of your article was talking about. Um, that's where my head went, um, which I think is a really interesting an interesting avenue. I'm not sure that happens next year, um, but I do think Well, it will if that's happen. the case, then agencies really are getting into the media business because that's exactly yes. like that's that was our sit down right what new uh, content ideas are we going to have for the year how do we fund them whatever that's exactly what and I don't know if that's where he's going with this but I think I don't think I it think is either yeah. way I think it's an interesting you know prediction the the other thing that I thought was really interesting and and this is not new news to us we've been I mean LinkedIn has been a great uh, supporter of Content Marketing Institute for a long time but he's saying that LinkedIn will be a go-to news source and a go-to distribution channel and really begin to dominate in 2014. I didn't realize 259 million members, 142 million unique visitors a month. LinkedIn is at wow. right now. And I think that what's interesting about, I mean, they had, um, 
you know, they spoke at content marketing world and in a couple different venues talking about that they were going all in with content marketing. And we've seen that happen over the last six months where you have more and more original content and by the way, curated content where if you go to your, you know, you see your feed and then you go to your channels that you can set up however you want to. It's a really interesting business, um, selection of stories for you and and if you were a business leader in a certain area you probably could go with linkedin as your primary source i i think that's absolutely right i mean i'm you know so there's no there's no doubt about it i'm a linkedin fanboy um and i think what they're doing is just is just just it's just wonderful what they're what they're actually creating there i mean i use linkedin all the time um as a main way to get my you know sort of mornings what's going on in the industry you know i don't use it as my sort of daily news source right so what's going on in the world but i do get it in terms of what's happening in uh in in my industry the last thing that i'll comment on is uh makes the interpretation because he's been doing some google searches around the term content marketing that europe and the uk is sort of behind when it comes to content marketing um, and I would probably correct that because he did a Google search on content marketing in Europe and got a lot less returns, which, you know, you could play that game any way you want to. But the point is, is that Europe in general, most of the countries that I've been to over there and most of the people that we work with over there, they're not behind in the discipline of content marketing. They're all behind in the terminology. They don't use traditionally. They haven't used content. It's been customer media. Uh, it's been custom publishing. Uh, it has not been content marketing and now they're sort of coming along to content marketing so that's and i don't know if you've seen this as well but you know especially on the print side where in the uk seven out of the top 10 newsstand publications are content marketing initiatives they just never i call them corporate publications corporate magazine they didn't call that's them right. content marketing publications and i think now that the term is sweeping you know internationally i think now you're going to see more people use because there's a there's a couple events over there now around content marketing but they never called them that germany is a great example they've been doing a corporate publishing event over there for decades they just didn't call it content marketing yeah i think that's exactly right i mean we've seen tremendous activity and thirst for content marketing um from from all over europe and asia too i mean we're getting you know, we're getting calls daily and we don't, I, my experience is that the, the, the difference that I see is kind of the same difference that I see in the approach to marketing in the U S versus Europe more generally, which is there's a certain comfort that Americans have, uh, with marketing and advertising that the Europeans don't necessarily have. You know, there's a lot more sensitivity to privacy. There's a lot more sensitivity to advertising, to go back to our, you know, early discussion. And there's a sensitivity to that generally. And so the shift from marketing and advertising into content that it is itself sort of speaking to the brand or doing brand storytelling and that sort of thing, there's a general sort of... Uh, not discomfort, but it's it, it doesn't come as easily, I, I want to say, um, than it might here in the in, in the states. So what it means is is that the case for ROI, the case for a business case that for you know for for this has to be a little stronger. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, and I think just to wrap up, and we'll put the uh, the all the predictions in the in the show notes because I think it's just interesting to see his his take on this whole thing. The last thing was 
doesn't see as much, you know, we've been talking about lots more of venture capital activity and uh, M&A activity going on, and he doesn't see that being the case as much. I think he's, he thinks there's going to be more uh, more funding going in, but not another, not more Oracle compendium type deals uh, that are going to be happening. I don't know if I agree with that. I Oh, I disagree. Yeah, yeah I, I disagree with that. I think that I, I think the M and A activity is only. Well, just and beginning. I think you're going to start seeing, and you've been talking about this more than anyone. I think is you're going to see the content management system players get into the game now. It's going to be really fun in 2014 because you're going to start now. You've seen now the big boys are here, right? The IBMs of the world, the Adobe's Absolutely. of the world. Everybody's getting into this because a lot of a lot of them think they're late to the game, and they're like, "Oh my Oracle god!" Oracle just. Or I mean, we didn't even talk about this as news, but you know, it's happened since our last show. And Oracle just bought responses for one and a half billion dollars. A little petty cash on the side there. Yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. Well, speaking of petty cash on the side, I know we don't have sponsors this week because we're making a special space for well, us. That's... <laughs> um, and I know you have some events you want to talk about. Well, I figured, uh, you know, I, I don't want to have sponsors to have all the love because we have our own things that we like to promote. <laughs> so there's three events that you and I are going to be at here in the next year, and I want to make sure everyone gets them on their uh, their calendar. Uh, so there, we have one uh, event called, we've talked about it on this show, Content Tech which is our full-day virtual event about content marketing technology. It's actually free to attend. We've got some amazing guest speakers, including uh, Mr. Robert Rose is going to be on that. Uh, February 26th of 2014, make sure you uh, go to contentmarketinginstitute.com, click on the events tab, and you'll get all the information. And our two big events, we have one in Asia Pacific and one in the States. Content Marketing World Sydney, 31st March through April 2nd. Uh, we I've just finished up some of the... Uh, the programming for that. I'm really excited about that. We've really taken a step up. Not that the programming last year wasn't good, but I think it was more basic beginner. Now we're really stepping it up, I think, for 2014. So I'm excited to go back over to Sydney. And then the big show, Content Marketing World, September 8th through 11th, 2014. Uh, We're looking at probably more than, well, over 2,000 this year, Robert, going to Cleveland, Ohio this year. And it's amazing how it started out as such a small thing and it's just grown and grown and grown. And I would just, I would, I would encourage, and we have listeners from over 90 countries on this for this podcast. I would just say, if you can go to one event this year, and I'm completely biased, and I will say it that I'm completely biased, <laughs> you should go to Content Marketing World. And the one thing that we've done, and uh, you know, you and I have worked on this, Robert. We've, we've added a whole global content strategy track this year. Yeah. Uh, we have seven concurrent tracks going on. We had five last year. We have seven going on. It'll be over 60 sessions covering just about everything we talk about on the show really hands-on we've got some super session classes this year so i'm just really excited so if you haven't registered yet go check it out it'll be september 8th through 11th um early bird sign up to get the best possible rate you have to sign up before the end of february so just mark your calendars make sure you sign up before then and i'm looking forward to seeing everyone there I am absolutely looking forward. I mean, I can, can't tell you how much I, I'm looking forward to both events, um, all of the events that we're going to be doing next year. Um, I'm especially happy to be back, going back to Sydney. I mean, what a wonderful, oh, wonderful, wonderful It's going to be fantastic. I'm looking really – and the, yeah. the people there are just – and talk, we talk about international. We talk about European growth a second ago. I mean, Australia yeah. is on the map. Oh, it's it's, oh, on it's fire, unbelievable yeah. how it's taken off so much. I've never seen it yeah. go from. I mean, I've never never saw it in the states go from you know point A to point B like like it is in Australia right now. 
Absolutely. Well, this brings us to the point of the show where we talk about our rant or our rave for the week. Um, And uh, this is the part where Joe and I either go off on a bit of a rant or a bit of a rave about something that we've absolutely just either can't stand or (laughs) we love. Um, Joe, what is your rant or rave this week? Well, you know, it'll... It's in a continuation of what I was just talking about. I've been heads down over the holidays working on programming for Content Marketing World 2014 in Cleveland. And we had over 400 submissions, believe it or not, Robert, uh, from all over the world. And I've been going through these. And here, so here's my rant. A, a good portion of these people were agencies. And I can't understand for the life of me why an agency would put themselves in and not recommend working with a client. So and anybody <laughs> any anybody who does this, if, if you are with an agency right now and you are submitting to an event, if you just submit that you are awesome and you are an, an agency that gets it and you've got great stuff, you will never get in just because you're an agency in a large event. You, ha- you either have to have something incredibly different about you, written a book or something that you're well-known in and of yourself, or you will get denied. Uh, so for future reference, anybody that's going to try to get into a large event of some kind, I would recommend that you agency folk, you actually recommend and say you will co-present with the client. You always then you make the cut to the second. And you doesn't doesn't mean you'll get in for sure, but you'll at least make the first cut. If you don't recommend any client co- co-presentation with you, I can guarantee you you won't get looked at. So that's my that's my rant. And I <laughs> and nice. I don't get it. And I and there was one agency, there was one large agency, Robert, that submitted like ten times, and they submitted like ten different people in the organization, no clients. And I'm like, are they? And they're smart people. I just I just don't get it. It's funny that I mean, you know, and you know, I mean, it's a content marketing event, people. <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Oh, hey, hey, come there, on. There, Is the irony noted well, there? There were a couple vendors in there that that basically wanted to do product pitches. I said, "Are you kidding me?" Right. You spent you know five ten. It's a quite a long form. They spent five, ten, twenty minutes, whatever. You have to put in links to all kinds of stuff that about your credibility. It. And they don't think about this stuff. It just kills me. So anyways. Very nice. Very nice. Well, mine this week is uh, neither a rant or a rave, um, I guess. Uh, It's really just a couple of wishes for the new year. Um, and they both relate to content marketing and, uh, and I'll just, I just have a couple of wishes. What the first wish I wish in 2014 that we see the end of having to prove ROI on content marketing before we actually start. You know, I get the idea of building a business case and, and all of that too, but this whole idea of trying to have to prove something before you've actually done it is just craziness to me. And it continually, I've, I've, I'm continuing to get emails and I get questions at conferences about people who come up and say, how do I prove to my CEO that this is going to be worth doing? And I'm saying, you can't. You can't prove, just like they couldn't prove that actually starting this business was going to be a good idea until they actually did it. And so I believe in building the business case, but I'm wishing for the end of the proof of ROI before we actually start executing. And the second wish that I have this year for 2014 is the is the end of SEO as the first and only reason that we do content. If we've said nothing <laughs> in over and over and over again in these podcasts, in master classes, etc., it is that the end of quantity is here. We are. It is not about producing more. It is about producing better. And so I'm hoping that the all of the changes that are going on in search engine optimization 
um, will finally sink in and this idea of just throwing masses of content against the wall and hoping some of it stick really, uh, really goes away. And so those are my two big wishes for uh, for 2014 as they really I don't know if those are actually going to come true. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the pessimist they when it comes not. to that, my friend. I don't know about that they at all. Not. Yeah, they may not. Well, we have a question uh, that came in through email uh, this week uh, for our question and answer segment, and I would love for you to answer this, oh, okay. Joe. Um, it comes from Mark in St. Louis. Um, I will leave Mark's last name out of this. Um, uh, but basically he says we haven't – There, by the way, he, he says we're a startup company, and there's a lot of new startup companies in the St. Louis area. So it's a really interesting new hotbed of, of new companies. Anyway, he says – Mark says we have a startup company, and we have very, very little marketing budget. What should we be doing as it pertains to content marketing? Uh, you know, boy, there's so many places to start. I mean, I was in that exact position just a few years ago when we started what is now the Content Marketing Institute in, uh, in 2007. I guess the number one thing when it comes to uh, getting started would be talk to your customers. Absolutely, the first thing that I would do is talk to your customers and figure out what, what are their pain points, what's keeping them up at night. What mostly happens, and you and I see this a lot, Robert, where you will get small businesses that feel like they need to be blogging because their competitors are blogging, or they need to be on Facebook, or they need to be on LinkedIn. And I just want to tell those people, I don't know the answer to that. Like if you, if you say, I should, uh, should, I be, should I have a blog? Should, what should I do on Pinterest? I would say, I don't know. And that's, an, that's okay not to know. I think what we want to do is find out. We want to find out you know, where, where are our customers hanging out. Uh, we want to talk to them about their pain points. But really, what I want to start identifying by asking those questions is, what will ultimately be my content niche? Because you got to remember, any content you create for your content marketing program is not going to be about you or shouldn't be about you. It's not going to be about your products and services because nobody cares about those. You want it to be about something your customers are, how, how can they live better lives? How can they get better jobs? Something about them. So that's why I would start focusing and talking to customers. If, and if you can't do that for whatever reason, talk to your sales team. If you can't do that for whatever reason, do some simple Google searches and start typing in things that are going to be of interest around the products and services you sell. And then I think once you get enough data, and, and I love this, and, and this is a Mark, I'm stealing this completely from, from our good friend Marcus Sheridan. He loves to say, sit down and once you get all that feedback, and if you know the industry like you probably do, just write down questions. It's the biggest, the best low-hanging fruit that you can do for your content marketing is write down all the questions your customers ask you. And then most likely, a lot of those have never been answered. And you might be able to say, hey, this is our content niche. We can be the leading experts in this. And you can start to develop, okay, here's the types of things that we'd like to talk about that make sense. Where should we have that story? Where should we tell that story? Because I don't know, maybe it's on a blog. Maybe it's a visual story. Maybe you're a landscaper. Maybe that should be on Pinterest. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it's on, uh, on, on LinkedIn of some kind and you're an attorney. Maybe that's in a, in a, fo in a forum somewhere on, on LinkedIn. I don't know where it's at. But I think you, if you don't ask the questions about to your customers first and you just go to channels first, I think you're going to be in trouble. I think that's fantastic advice. I mean, the only the only thing I would add to that is I would take away the excuse for talking to customers. There is no you you must go talk to your customers. You, there is no just talking to the sales guys. You got you you yeah. start that start that best practice. I've heard that with distributor relationships a lot, where they don't feel like yeah. they can talk to them. But I would agree with you if you can get. Around. And the other thing is, is that and I do love talking to the sales team. But man, if you can get if you can get it directly from the customers, I think that's <laughs> that's where it's all going to pay off for you. 
Absolutely. Well, in the sake of time, we're going to, since we did our, our question here, we're going to forego our This Old Marketing example Aww. this week. Unless, Joe, and do, well, do you have, I mean, do you no, have you know one? What? Right well, there, you, know, like, I, right, I, you know, I, I, we make yeah. the promise we like to go 45 minutes and no more. I know we're up on it. So exactly. let's, let's move on and, and maybe we'll do one or two next week. What is uh, your final words? Where are you going to be next week? Well, you know, we're celebrating the, the new year, bringing it in. And, and honestly, I'm heads down doing programming. We've got to get back to the 400 submissions for Content Marketing World. And i got to get back to those people. And we got to tell them, start saying yes or no. So those agencies, by the way, that you just talked about yourself, you'll probably be getting a no. I'm sorry about that. But that's what I'm working on. How about, how about yourself? Uh, I am actually heads down working on a bunch of stuff, including the new online training for CMI, as well as trying to get some writing done and just really take advantage of, as uh, as our good friend CC Chapman called them, the quiet days. Uh, so yeah, it's, a, it's a good time for me to be heads down and actually doing some good thinking. Because once the once the what is it Monday the sixth? Once that hits, it's uh, it's going to be <laughs> a flurry of email activity. Right. So we got to be ready. Absolutely you got right. It. Absolutely right. Well, that's it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter at hashtag thisoldmarketing or send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. This was episode number seven. Also, if you liked this episode, and we hope you did, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher. All those links are on the show notes available at contentmarketinginstitute.com in the show post. Remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.